Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Dr. Joanna Silver. She is a counselling psychologist and the lead psychological therapist at ORI, a specialist daycare unit for people with eating disorders. Now, if you're a long-time listener, then you'll know that a few years ago, I realised that I had actually been dealing with a type of disordered eating that I found to be extremely life-limiting and distressing. My own personal issues resemble something close to, but not exactly, binge eating disorder. And the biggest shock for me when I came to understand what I was battling, because it did and does feel like a battle recovery is not linear, is that for most of my life, up until the age of 41 in fact, I just assumed and was told that I was greedy and lazy and just needed to get myself together and stop being the way that I was being. I thought I lacked self-control, I felt embarrassed when I ate, I felt stressed around food and I had no idea that this constant internal noise was something I could address and get help with. I just assumed that everyone was indifferent about food or could take it or leave it or could eat what they want, but I'd just been dealt a very bad hand. And it's an extremely lonely place that's stained with feelings of shame. Um, It's very unhelpful. What I've come to understand is that food was just one element of the problem. I also had an extremely poor body image. I was mortified to be walking around in a bigger body. I hated that clothes didn't fit me. I endured the bullying of being overweight at school and later on the what was supposed to be helpful comments about my size. But I just felt very uncomfortable in my own skin. And look, all of this is to say that by the time I had my light bulb moment, as it were, there had been decades of self-destructive behaviours, mostly in private and in my head, and a general feeling of being less than, not as good as, not eligible to live my life and enjoy things the way that others could very easily access. It's for that reason that I want to bring what I hope will be helpful and validating conversations to the podcast on this subject, because I don't want anyone else to live in the kind of emotional headspace that I spent a long time living in and believing was normal. I don't want anyone else to assume they are a failure or that they are less than, when in actual fact they may be dealing with something they aren't even aware of. 
And so that's why I wanted to get Joanna on the show because she has so much expertise and experience in this area and actually just her plain, simple explanations about the ways in which our relationship with food can affect us is something I've revisited a few times since we recorded this episode. I'm also keen to get someone with Joe's level of expertise on the show because as helpful as I may try to be, I bring a huge amount of personal bias to the conversation. Even this introduction, I've wondered whether, oh, should I rephrase that? Should I? Because I don't want to upset anybody, but I can only be honest about my own experience. I may try to be objective and use my journalistic skills to be objective, but I have a pretty fixed lens and having Joe's insights helps create a much clearer picture, I think. And what I really wanted to unpick with Joanna was this broad spectrum of eating disorders that we don't often hear about. We're all likely aware of anorexia, bulimia and binge eating disorder to an extent. But as Joe says in the podcast, just because you're not dealing with a diagnosed or dealing with or diagnosed with one of these things doesn't mean that you aren't suffering any less with your own issues with food. So during our conversation, Joe describes the different relationships we can have with food, what an eating disorder or disordered eating really feels like and how it might look from the outside, how it might present, the link with body image and an obsession with shape and weight, what may cause an issue in the first place and why recovery is entirely possible and within your reach. And look, listeners, it's always my intention to create shows that will help and be meaningful to you. That's my goal. And if there's one thing I've learned from creating this podcast, it's that none of my experiences, thoughts and feelings are unique, which means that if I've had them or felt them, then it's likely that someone else will too. So I want this episode to find the person who needs it. I want this episode to find the person who really needs to hear it. And you'll likely hear in my voice that um, it wasn't the easiest show for me to record. I... Um, I felt quite stressed actually during the recording because of wanting to do a good job, wanting to do the right thing, etc., and to bring out the best in Joe and not project my own bias onto her. And I was constantly trying to look through an objective lens, not a subjective one, and create a conversation that would be helpful for anyone who may be in a state of distress, whether they realize it or not, about their body image and food issues. And I do make this point in the show. But I also think it's important to make it here too. I'm not suggesting that anyone who doesn't sit in a healthy weight bracket in inverted commas must be dealing with some kind of eating issue. That's not what I'm saying at all. And Joe acknowledges this too, um, which is why I should probably just get started and let you hear what Joe has to say. She was a very incredible, generous and hugely insightful guest. And you can hear how practical she is. And I can only imagine what it must be like working with her because I can only imagine she makes you feel incredibly comfortable and safe. Um, so I hope that that's how you feel from listening to this episode. I will, of course, put the links to Joanna, to her uh, day unit, to um, the book that she mentions, the resources that she mentions in the show notes so that you have easy access to them. But for now, please do join me in welcoming Dr. Joanna Silver onto The Emma Gunn Show. A very warm welcome to the podcast, Dr. Joanna Silver. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm good and I'm excited, but also I have to be really honest, a little bit nervous and, and somewhat scared to speak to you because we're going to be talking about your area of expertise. So you are a uh, counselling psychologist. You're currently the lead psychological therapist at Ori. Ori? Yes, that's right. It's a specialist daycare unit for people with eating disorders. Yes. And this is why it feels already I'm a little bit tentative about beginning mm. to talk about this, because you have professional insight and expertise on this subject. 
me, and I'm guessing the majority of people listening have personal bias when it comes to this subject. Mm -hmm. They have their own personal emotional experience with food and maybe their body image. And if they've got this far in the show, they kind of already know we're in for a bit of a ride here because it's a very difficult subject to broach in a way Mm -hmm. that can be universally helpful, it feels. Yep. Yep. I think as you said, just discussing this can bring up all kinds of emotions. So in some senses, I'm not scared that I'm not surprised that people may feel a little bit scared delving into it. Yes. Okay. So one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the podcast, other than the fact we were introduced by mutual, very good friend Lou, is that uh, it was a real shock to me when I realized that I had something resembling binge eating disorder. It's not a it's not a classical definition of it. But when I started to investigate more and realized that the majority of people who have eating disorders fall into the category of overeating, may present as being healthy, may present as doing all the best things, but are actually having this internal, quite vicious monologue with themselves about how bad they are, how they can't control themselves around food, how they don't have any willpower. There's this real uh, internal voice of beating oneself up. When I realized that the majority of people who are diagnosed are potentially having that experience, it really, have to say, it really blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, as you said, it is much more common than the eating disorders that we often hear about and the extremes. And what it means is that there are lots of people out there who are really suffering with um, either eating disordered or otherwise disordered eating, which may not fit the categories, but still can cause a lot of distress and a lot of shame. So the eating disorders that let's just get these ones out of the way, so to speak, not to dismiss them, but we many people will be very familiar with anorexia bulimia and anorexia nervosa. So for the purposes of just making sure that we give everyone the information, would you mind describing those and what those might look or feel like? Mm-hmm. So with anorexia, the person has lost a significant amount of weight and is underweight. Um, there's a fear of fat. So even though the person may be, will be very, very underweight, they will really, really feel fear gaining weight and will have a very distorted image of how they look. And often it leads to real physical consequences. Their periods may stop which can obviously affect fertility further on. They're likely to be very, very preoccupied with food. They're going to likely to be having rituals. And actually, it's very hard to concentrate on anything else when the person is in a state of starvation. Mm -hmm. So that is um, anorexia. Bulimia, the person is also very, very preoccupied with food and with weight. And the person will go through different periods of restricting and then binging and a binge is when someone eats an uncontrollable amount of food in a short space of time and with bulimia the person will then get rid of it whether it's by purging or whether it's by over exercising Um, and even though we do have these categories actually you know and including binge eating disorder at you know central to all eating disorders is what we call the over evaluation of shape and weight So, you know, whereas most people, especially women, do care a bit about their shape, um, that's not uncommon in with someone with an eating disorders or a disordered eating that becomes absolutely central. It kind of trumps absolutely everything. But I think actually, you know, some people with anorexia will binge and purge. 
and also some people with bulimia will go through as I said cycles of restriction um, and you know whether it's binge eating disorder whether it's anorexia whether bulimia at heart the person is using food to deal with their emotions and I think it's really really important to emphasize that this is the way that the person is dealing with something much much deeper than just food. Okay, we're going to come back to that. Um, uh, but let's talk about the difference between, because the lines do get blurred. So the difference between an eating disorder and disordered eating. Mm -hmm. So an eating disorder is, we have something called the DSM, which is um, where we categorize mental illness. And there's certain criteria which you need to fit to get that diagnosis. But there are plenty of people out there who may not fit absolutely every criteria, but still has a relationship with food that is causing them a lot of distress. So even though, as I said, it may not be what we call an established eating disorder, it still can be really, really causing them great distress. And it's important that that person gets the help that they need. Um, because, you know, we don't want to get people to the stage where they're absolutely desperately ill to get help. You know, the sooner that people get help, the better. Um, and actually, the prognosis is so much better when you treat an eating disorder or dis disordered eating early. So we don't want to wait until someone has lost a dangerous amount of weight. We want to intervene as soon as possible and look at what is the function of this for the person. Well, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to create this episode, actually, is because the information that I discovered age 41 was available to me when I was a teenager. I'm sure that that information would have been out there. And so I sort of look back, sadly, at all those years where I was just I would call call in fat. I've done it before, like made an excuse about not going out to see my friends because I didn't like how I looked in my clothes. And that in itself is this a behavior that sort of limits limits your life it's life limiting mm. and you're so ashamed that you don't want to say to somebody I just don't want to come out because I don't know I feel like I've got muffin top because mm -hmm. it feels so silly to say it out loud but it's so serious to the individual and I think that's the thing and I think with someone with you know whether it's an eating disorder disordered eating or poor body image it's almost a double whammy that they they feel absolutely horrendous and then they feel ashamed of feeling horrendous and often people will say you know I'm so I feel like I'm so vain because I know that there are more important things in the world than the way that I look but actually it really, really does matter to that person. And I think if anyone felt like that, they would also feel really, really sad. Um, so I think it's about saying that, yeah, it, it really does matter and it is important. And I think it's interesting, as you were saying, Emma, that, you know, sometimes people will feel that oh, I don't have an eating disorder. Almost, you know, I'm not that bad. You know, I don't deserve to say that I've got an eating disorder and that I need help. And, you know, the message that I'd really want to get across is if it's causing you distress, absolutely, you know, you deserve that help. Yeah. And I think this is where it gets really muddy because that's where words like willpower come into play. And then you can open up Instagram and you can see someone doing a workout at 6am and then suddenly you feel bad about yourself and it spirals mm -hmm. all your thoughts and feelings. So, okay, let's talk about the preoccupation with food because I have spoken to a lot of friends about this. I think we're all very aware of not eating too much. Mm -hmm. Is that, is, when does it, when is it normal to think, oh, I don't want to eat too much because I don't want to gain weight? And when does it become not normal and something to be concerned about when that preoccupation with food steps over a line? Because 
it's one of those things where they can look the same, but they might be very, mm-hmm. very different on the individual. Yep. I think the line is when it's causing you distress and when it's interfering with your everyday activities. So I think that if, you know, if you're thinking a little bit about food and about body image, but you're carrying on with your life and it's not causing you distress, then that's possibly not something that we need to be concerned about. But when it is in your head, and as you said, if you're not going to things because you're worried about eating too much or eating too little, you know, you're withdrawing, that to me is significant and, um, you know, could be a problem. Hmm. Someone's listening to this, how, how can they join those dots and and say yeah do you know what? I need to have a conversation with somebody because I do I just think we keep coming back a little bit to this idea of yes it's normal to feel a certain way but then it, if it's causing you distress but then we can minimize our distress and say oh I'm just being mm-hmm. so silly so if if it um I can imagine a lot of people wouldn't want to book that appointment in case they felt foolish and they were sent away which I'm mm-hmm. sure wouldn't happen yeah and it doesn't even need to be you know it- everyone can find their ways to manage it it's not that everyone who worries about food and body image needs to be seeing a therapist tomorrow you know sometimes people can do self-help sometimes people can find other ways of managing it um it's hard there's no kind of fine line to say right when is it interfering or when is it not I guess you know something helpful that maybe people can do is thinking about you know if I wasn't thinking about this now how would my life be very different and if there's a big discrepancy between people doing the things that they want to be doing and people doing or not doing the things because of their preoccupation that to me is a little bit of a red flag Mm. and again I think it comes back to you know you don't need to be so bad to seek help you know even you know I would I would imagine that no one would get turned away but even if it's just having a chat even if it's just exploring you know just you know having that curiosity you know being curious about you know let's talk about my relationship with food how do I use food you know is it for me a form of comfort comfort is it a punishment is it a reward having that conversation can be really really helpful but you don't need to be severely severely ill to have that conversation I was chatting to a friend the other day and she has recovered from anorexia and I have I would say I'm in recovery we both say we're in recovery from uh, overeating Mm -hmm. And so what's quite interesting um, is that even though we're both extremely passionate about educating people about this, we have our own bias. So if I see somebody who might present as being overweight, Mm -hmm. I will look at them and I will project onto them, oh gosh, maybe they're as unhappy as I was when I was struggling with my weight. And if that person, if I know that person and they're talking about diets that aren't working or diets that they're trying or that they can't seem to shift the weight in the gym, immediately I think oh yes that must be exactly what I was going through Mm -hmm. my friend who has recovered from anorexia will look at them and think thank goodness they're safe because Mm -hmm. they're not down that path and so we come at it with a complete opposing bias which is just which I think is one of the things that makes Anuma see this you're so qualified in this area but this is a very loud landscape there's a lot of opinions about body acceptance Mm -hmm. does that muddy the water 
Yeah, I, I think I think it can. And I think it's somehow and it's hard to shift the focus from it's not just about weight. Mm. So as you said, you know, you may have someone and your friend may look at that person, as you said, and think, wow, they're out of that woods. But that person may be desperately unhappy and really using food and using their body as a way of managing really, really difficult stuff in the same way that your friend was. Or they may absolutely not and maybe maybe really, really content and proud of their body or not really think about their body. So I think it's really, as I said, we all have these biases, but, you know, the weight is one thing, but there's so much more to it than weight and what a person looks like. And it, and it's so deep. You know, mm. it's whilst on the surface, it looks like it's about food and it looks like it's about body image. It goes so much deeper than that. And I think that's what we've always, always got to bear in mind. You know, what is the function of this eating disorder? What is the function of this disordered eating? And to really, really remove the shame, because, you know, most people are doing the best that they can to manage life. And, um, you know, sometimes in the short term, whether it's the restricting or whether it's the overeating for that person for the moment can make them feel a little bit better. And so I think it's really, really important to come at all eating disorders and all dis, um, disordered eating with that kind of compassion and empathy and understanding and to really, really approach it very, very gently. Mm. Um, because sometimes, you know, when someone's had an eating disorder or disordered eating for a long time, whilst they may desperately want to get better, it can be really, really scary for them. You know, the unknown, you know, what, what, what do I turn to if I don't turn to food and I can't overeat? Mm. Suddenly the person is going to have all those emotions and that can be very, very, very difficult. You know, similarly, if someone has been very, very underweight for a long time, that can be really, really hard for them, making the really, really brave step to gain weight. You know, sometimes people can feel like it's part of their identity. Um, and sometimes people can feel that their methods as dysfunctional as they are in the short term work. They may numb that pain. You know, they may get someone through something. So I think it's a really, really delicate line when someone decides to tackle their eating or to tackle um, their eating disorder to really really work with them and understand how difficult it may be yeah let's talk about binge eating disorder because I guess that was my gateway into mm -hmm. understanding that what was going on with me was more than just being greedy um now this is where it gets really complicated because the way I've sort of simplified it before is to say, oh gosh, I read someone else's experience, read the definition and realized it wasn't me just being somebody who had no mm -hmm. willpower. So would you mind explaining exactly what binge eating disorder is and how it might present or feel? Mm -hmm. So binge eating disorder is someone is when someone uses food as a way of managing their feelings. So it may be that if someone is feeling really, really sad or lonely or bored, that they will turn to food. Um, and everyone's definition of a binge is slightly different, um, but it's that sense people have described to me of being in a zone. Mm -hmm. That when they're eating, you know, they're not tasting the food. The first biscuit may taste nice, but the ninth biscuit or the 10th biscuit or the 20th biscuit, the person is just unaware of it. Um, and as you said afterwards, someone can carry this absolute deep, deep shame. Usually it's done in private. So it's very, very secret. 
And often what will happen is after the binge eating, the person will feel disgusted with themselves and, you know, beat themselves up a little bit like you were saying, I'm so greedy, I've got no willpower. And actually the last thing that the person wants to be doing is punishing themselves in that way. It can feel unbelievably uncomfortable. The person can feel very, very sick, very ashamed. And often it's followed by, right, I need to get back on track tomorrow. I need to get onto my diet. And then the food groups will often come out. So I need to be really good. Mm-hmm. And good is a word that I really struggle with in terms of food, because it then, you know, suggests that it has moral significance, you know, good yeah. food and bad food. But often the person will try and get back on track. But the problem is they'll often cut out certain foods not eat enough and that then that starts the cycle again because they get hungry and Mm -hmm. generally in terms of binges we have two kinds of binges what we have physiological binges and psychological binges and actually the physiological binges are really often fueled by hunger the person is which you know may sound a surprise but the person often when they're not binging isn't eating enough because they're trying to be good or isn't eating enough different food groups because they're trying to eat clean Mm -hmm. and I've yet to ever come across anyone who binges on broccoli people don't people always binge on the foods that they label as bad Mm -hmm. or naughty it's those foods that come out in a binge Um, and it's that you know sometimes people will eat in a binge what they would never ever allow themselves the rest of the time um, so in some senses, the physiological binges um, are quite are easier to treat because one of the best things to do for physiological binges, again, this is easier said than done, but is to try and introduce all foods into the diet and to eat really, really regularly. Because if someone is going for too long without eating, their blood sugar is going to, you know, is likely to need food and it's likely that they're going to binge. So we mm. want to, I'd really recommend that people eat regularly. And I would really recommend that people eat all kinds of food, because then actually, if you're having certain foods, you know, most days, they're not this huge deal. They're not the kind of forbidden fruit that people will then turn to in a binge and become really, really secretive. So the first thing is the, um, you know, the the making sure that you're not hungry, because when we're hungry, we don't make good choices. That really speaks to my experience as well. And I've said this on the podcast before. I never used to keep food in my house mm-hmm. because I just couldn't trust that I wouldn't, I, I, I couldn't trust myself around it. And I would think I was doing well if I could go for as long as possible in the day without eating. And that would, and, and that would mean things like if someone said, do you want to meet for breakfast? I would say no to them. I might want to meet them because for work reasons, but the reason I would say no, I wasn't available was because I didn't want to present, be presented with having to choose between having breakfast and not having breakfast and making a big, big deal out of it. And so it was really limiting. And um, before Christmas or sorry, after Christmas on Instagram, people were saying, how did you cope with Christmas being in recovery as you are? And I said, it's that thing of I've, my normal is safe now. I didn't have a normal before. My normal was try to eat as little as possible. And that's why binging or overeating would occur. Exactly. So binging and restricting are two sides of the same coin. Um, And actually, as I said, even people with anorexia will often binge. It may not be spoken about as much, but just the body often gives in. You know, when you are not satisfying it, it rebels. 
And as I said, it's always a food that you will not allow yourself. But actually, when you kind of have it and that becomes your normal, it kind of doesn't become such a big deal. You know, mm. it's not, you know, there's nothing to rebel about against. And also part of this is from the restrictive mindset as well. You know, if you're eating very, very little and then you're in a binge, it's like, right, I need to cram absolutely everything I can get in in this moment because I, I know that I won't be able to have it tomorrow. So it means that you've just got to go for it in that really, really short amount of time, which, mm. as I said, is experienced as really, really unpleasant. Whereas if you take the attitude that there isn't a food that is good or bad, and actually, if I want to have X, I can have X, there's no need to cram it in in that binge way because there's always tomorrow. Mm. And I think it's really about moving from the restrictive to the binge mindset. And actually, you know, going back to what you were saying, a lot of people with binge eating disorder, it's not that they don't have willpower, it's that they have too much willpower. They're too strict most of the time. And that's the physiologically when they rebel. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's really about reminding of that. They're trying, they're trying too hard. That was one of the things I realized. I thought I was a, a failure at diet and exercise. And I realized actually I was really good at it. I just couldn't maintain the standard I'd set for myself, which was just mm -hmm. way too high. Um, yeah. And you also mentioned uh, psychological. Yeah. Binging. So the physiological binges are the ones that are caused by the hunger. And the psychological binges, I guess, are more complex because they are a way of managing emotions. So people may start binging nothing to do with hunger. You know, if I'm feeling sad or angry, it could, sometimes people can find it really, really difficult to say, I'm really angry with you. And instead they will binge on their feelings. Um, sometimes people will find that if they're by themselves and they're really, really lonely, that then binging can be, I guess, a source of comfort, a distraction. Um, so it's ways of thinking about what is the psychological function of this binge. And what we the aim is to teach people in therapy is different ways of managing these feelings. And, you know, no one we can never promise someone that in recovery, life is going to be wonderful and you're not going to have these feelings, but different ways to manage it. And often people feel that they can't tolerate. I, I can't allow myself to feel lonely. I can't be angry. I can't deal with anger. And part of it is kind of giving people the confidence that it's not nice to feel lonely. It's not nice to feel anxiety, but you can manage it. Um, and it's called what we call distress intolerance beliefs, the belief that people cannot, I can't do these feelings, I'm not good at feelings. And then they will turn to food as a way of shutting down those feelings. And actually, you know, after a binge, you know, people will have, as I said, often all of these feelings of shame and guilt. And that can be a distraction from the real issues. So sometimes it can be easier to think about, I feel really, really fat today, or I feel really greedy, than actually, I feel really sad, I feel really alone, and I'm really anxious about the future. Mm. See, it makes complete sense when you say it, and obviously I know that you've got the expertise and the experience to back it up, but I... Um it sort of comes back to that trope that I dislike, which is, and I remember it from Austin Powers, when fat bastard breaks at the end and he says, I eat because I'm sad. And it's sort of, it almost oversimplifies it. And it's like, yeah. oh, just because it doesn't mean that anyone who is overweight in inverted commas is in a state of distress. And I think that's where it gets really muddy again. Yes, uh, of course not. And I think, you know, the reality is that we, we do, most people do eat a certain amount to do with their feelings. So we may go out for someone's birthday and have a piece of cake. 
because we're celebrating. And I guess that if it's not causing someone distress, that's a perfectly normal thing to do. If someone breaks up with their boyfriend, it may be pretty normal to eat a little bit more for comfort. I think it comes back to, you know, how often it's happening, what the function is and how the person feels about it. That's important. And, you know, and that's it's hard. It is, as you said, it is different for every person. It's certainly not to say that everyone who's overweight is sad Mm. at all. Um, Of course not. But it's about really, really exploring your, you know, no one is a textbook. Everyone has a different relationship with food. And I think it's really about respecting that and allowing the person to explore with curiosity explore with curiosity with curiosity and without judgment and Mm -hmm. you know reminding that most people do the best that they can you know so it's not about you've got this wrong um most people you know if they've only ever dealt with feelings through food sometimes people don't have the skills to deal with emotions until they learn them right because if someone is constantly numbing their emotions by, say, binging, they haven't had the practice that actually this feeling is really, really horrible of loneliness, say, but it will pass. Because if every time that they, you know, are feeling sad, that's how they deal with it. So a lot is about really encouraging that person to take a risk. But that, you know, requires great bravery. And that's why it can be really, really hard, as you know, horrible as these eating disorders may feel, to give up. You know, it's that's reminded me of something Julia Samuel, the psychotherapist, said when she came on the podcast about your feelings are there. They're, they're signposts that you have to pay attention to. She says it in a much more succinct and brilliant way. Mm-hmm. But ever since she said that on the show a couple of years ago, I've it, it's been really helpful because I've thought, OK, I'm feeling like that. W- what's going on here rather than trying to push it away? Mm-hmm. And I. Yep. And I think it's accepting that as humans we don't just have nice feelings you know we may sometimes people really struggle with anger mm-hmm. and actually expressing anger towards other people especially women you know it, it's seen as women are not seen as angry but in fact if someone is angry they may need to pay attention to that so and I think it's about giving people the confidence that all of these emotions are not bad things. They can be, as you said, really, really, really helpful, mm. but just having the courage to see what comes up. But that can be really scary. Yeah. How uh, are the seeds of an eating disorder, disorder sown in childhood? They can be, but not always. I think, you know, we, we don't know exactly what causes an eating disorder, but it's really, in my opinion, a case of being a vulnerable individual in the wrong place at the wrong time. Wow. It's, it's never parents' fault. You know, often parents will have such a great degree of guilt and blame. It's never as simple as, right, it was this one thing that started the eating disorder. It can be sown in childhood, but not always. And some people will have a really, really clear idea of what did cause it. Um, And that could be helpful. Other people may not know. And, you know, sometimes it cannot be that helpful to spend years and years and years thinking about what started it. Mm. But what can sometimes be much more helpful is, right, what is keeping me stuck right now? And how can I manage that? And often what starts an eating disorder can be very, very different to what maintains it. Interesting. It, mm-hmm. uh, you reminded me of the title of the book I always mention, Brain Over Binge. And I think the subtitle is something like why conventional therapy didn't work for me. And it speaks to that of 
as soon as I understand what it was, I could do something about that. What caused it was a secondary issue. The primary thing mm-hmm. was to basically stop the binging, mm-hmm. not, not figure out why it was happening. Yep. And, you know, if someone is in that real, real cycle, horrible cycle of binging, if they can manage to have some tools to stop it, that can be so helpful and really increase their quality of life whilst at the same time or afterward exploring the origins of it. But often, you know, when someone is in that horrible cycle of binging, it can be really, really hard to do any psychological work. It's very hard to think when you're going through that cycle of restriction and binging. Mm. gosh you've really got your work cut out for you and I'm guessing that every single person is completely different Mm -hmm. yeah everyone has their own story everyone has their own relationship with their eating disorder um so yeah no it you know every no one fits neatly into a textbook and I think it's really important for everyone to realize that one thing that I observe and again I would love your insight on this is that if you walk around the world today, we are constantly uh, bombarded with images and stimulus to basically like buy this. And a lot of those are food things. Like you walk down the street, there's a picture of fast food on the bus stop or what have you. And it struck me that I certainly never was sat down and told what a healthy, nourishing, nutritionally rich plate of food looked like. Mm Mm-hmm which means that with all of that other noise out in the world, it becomes very easy to feed yourself in a way that isn't nourishing and that could then lead to, well, I'm guessing more the physical uh, evidence of it of maybe gaining weight because you're eating a lot of junk food or what have you. How are, are there those issues of just kind of not really knowing how to nourish oneself that then can turn into something that needs a little bit of support from someone like you? Yeah, I think it's really confusing. As you said, there's so many messages out there and people can really get lost within those messages. And sometimes sometimes people can really, really benefit from kind of knowing the facts and going back to basics. And again, depending on where the person's at, sometimes people find it really, really helpful to be put on a meal plan, really. That, you know, they're told, you know, of course they can have choice within it, but this is what, you know, this is what, is a good way of resetting your body because sometimes people you know are so confused by everything and the relationship with food has become so distorted that it's really hard to tell am I hungry or am I not hungry and that's why sometimes working with a professional having a meal plan which sometimes can feel a bit like oh gosh you know I don't have much freedom Mm. but actually by following it allowing your you know your system to regulate allowing your hunger to regulate can actually be the key to freedom you know, that then the idea, we don't want people to be on meal plans forever, but when someone has kind of managed to get rid of that noise, you know, managed to kind of feed themselves, then they can make choices. Now, when I was looking at all of the different categories of eating disorder before our call, there are so many more than I realized. There's another mm-hmm. one. Is it all said? Um, yes. Yep. So there's, um, so there's OSFED, which is, Ausfed, um, sorry. yes, so that, that is kind of an eating disorder that, again, doesn't fit any of the categories, um, but can have um, elements of each of the different eating disorders. And again, just because, you know, you're not diagnosed with anorexia or bulimia or binge eating disorder 
doesn't mean that you are suffering any the less or it's not important. Um, so I think, you know, the categories can be helpful, but it's also important not to get too hung up on them and to really think about the distress and the impact on the person's life. Um, yep, th there are there are several kinds of eating disorders. There's also something called um, ARFID, which is um, an eating disorder which is not to do with food and weight. Um, but when someone can have a very, very limited diet of food, um, because they're fearful of certain foods. It could be kind of the texture, or it could be that they've had a very difficult experience, you know, if they were choking when they were younger. And actually, this can be very, very major, because even though the aim is not to lose weight, of course, someone can have real deficits in their diet. So again, that will require a certain kind of treatment. And then there's also, I remember when I worked on women's magazines, we went through a phase of orthorexia was huge mm -hmm. because we kind of uh, healthy eating gone mad is probably a really crude way of describing it. Yep. So, and again, sometimes someone presenters orthorexic and actually they can get a lot of praise from the outside world. You know, people can say, you know, you're eating so well. Um, and, and there's a very, very fine line between orthorexia and say anorexia. Um, sometimes people can feel that it's more, I guess, socially acceptable to be orthorexic. But actually, you know, just like you were saying before, people will sometimes avoid going out, avoid seeing people, be very, very preoccupied with food, have very fixed ideas. So it's still, you know, it is still the distress can still be there. Mm. Let's talk about, because I made a note earlier about having an over- uh, basically an obsession with shape and weight mm -hmm. because I think uh that's something that I can definitely relate to I'm sure lots of people listening can and again it falls into this category of something like it's not it's not a bad thing to keep an eye on your metrics and hopefully stay uh, so that you have an eye on keeping oneself healthy mm -hmm. and it's that thing of when does it call, when is it a problem? And is it just a case of if it's causing you distress? Because I think for me, I didn't know I was in distress. I thought that what I felt was normal and I was just bad. So it's, just, I'm mm -hmm. just trying to help people identify. Yep. So I think if people, again, not engaging in activities, say not going on holiday because they're really worried about wearing a swimsuit, that is really impacting their life. Um, if they are Think, you know, I think a lot is, it may, it may look like the person is living a normal life, but if they are really, really thinking about it all the time, then that is a concern. So there are lots of people out there who may say, um, you know, I don't like this part of my body and I don't like this part, but overall I'm okay and I don't really care that much. And that, that okay, you know, that is unfortunately, it's what we call in society, it's a normative discontent and unfortunately especially women we have what's called a normative discontent so lots of people don't like parts of their body but get on with life and it doesn't really affect them but if people are disliking their body so much that it is leading to great restriction or great binge eating or trying to alter their body in some ways or missing out on life then that is something that would you know, is concerning because it is overtaking their life. Um, and, and it's very difficult to, you know, when people are recovering from eating disorders, often the last thing, you know, to go is changing the person's body image. It can be very, very difficult. Um, but 
it, it can be done. And sometimes, you know, sometimes people don't get to the stage where they absolutely love their body. It would be wonderful if everyone did. But often the first stage is accepting the body that actually this is my body. This is the body that I've been given. It may not be perfect, but it's good enough. And moving away from the idea of the body as an aesthetic object, so just what it looks like. And sometimes it can be really helpful to think about what is the function of my body? You know, what can my body do? What am I grateful to for my body? You know, thinking of it in slightly different terms can really help someone who suffers from poor body image. Uh, when uh, I, I wrote an article for a magazine a little while ago about how having breast reduction surgery was actually the thing that prompted me to take bigger action because surgery wasn't the answer. And I wrote a line in it that uh, went back and forth a little bit with editors because it was like, oh, this is a bit, this is quite punchy. And the line was something along the lines of, um, because I had felt pressure to, to lean into body confidence and body acceptance. And I had used some of the sort of principles of that. Like I'd thrown the scales out mm. uh, because I had friends who said, no, you've got to accept your body. Don't, that's the wrong metric. Don't do that. Go on how your clothes feel, go on how you feel. But when it came to it, after having the surgery, I realized that if I was really going to practice body acceptance, the act of accepting my body would be to completely switch off doing anything about an eating disorder or disordered eating that I knew fundamentally underpinned the issue. And that mm -hmm. essentially body acceptance for me would have been cloaking myself in denial. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think that that's it. I think that there is no one form of body acceptance. And I think it's so important, as you said, to treat everyone as an individual so if it really worked for your friends throwing away the scales that is brilliant but for other people that's not helpful and actually some people find it much more helpful to weigh themselves once a week um, you know so that they've got some idea of what their weight is especially you know if they've come out of recovery um, you know that can be really really helpful as well so I think it's about, you know, there's so many messages out there, but kind of checking in with yourself, you know, is this right for me? Is this healthy for me? What are my motivations for doing it? What are my motivations for not doing it? And not to kind of just get caught up in what is right for other people. But again, that takes, you know, sometimes it really takes pausing and thinking because we are just throwing these messages and really questioning yourself. It would be so fantastic if there was like a, literally a workbook. I know because you can go onto various websites and you can fill out, fill out the forms and you can identify what your eating issue might be. But to actually then the steps, like what would a road to recovery look like? Understanding that obviously it will be different for every individual, but what are we really working on when we're talking about a recovery? I think in a really simple way, um, what we're talking about is finding a different way that's not food to manage feelings and to get the tools to manage life really and I think you know sometimes that food can be quite a, a quick fix in that moment for managing the feelings and sometimes when you try other methods they may not deal with the feelings quite as quickly and it's accepting that it might be a lot slower you know if I'm going to I don't know it always sounds, you know, go for a bath or have, take a walk or do some breathing. You know, people are never very impressed when I kind of tell them that because it doesn't necessarily, as I said, 
kind of deal with the emotions so much in that moment but in the long term it's setting the person up for life well you're so that's, right. that's sorry go on go 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 what what we going back to your question in in, in a nutshell the what what we really want everyone to come out with is a toolbox you know and I really encourage people to think about toolboxes whether it's actually you know and some of my clients will have a physical toolbox of things to help them deal with emotions you know whether it's a song that they might have whether it's a picture that might have whether it's a certain smell that is really really soothing for them other people will devise a more metaphorical toolbox but we want people to have different tools um, and, and that if people can have their toolbox then that is fantastic and it's not to say you know in terms of recovery it's not to say that that person will never use food again I think it's important to not get too black and white about this because often people will think right I've done it I've conquered it and then they might have a blip and then they feel like they've failed and that can start the whole cycle again so to you know to people do have blips and the best thing that you can do if you have a blip is learn from it to be kind to yourself you know we're all human we all have blips you know thinking about again taking that time to pause not to judge you know what it, it, sometimes it can feel like it's come out of the blue but actually sitting down you know what went wrong what was I thinking what was I feeling lost you know before it happened and what have I learned from it it's a good point because when you when one does uh having spoken to friends as well as my own experience you are drawn towards food you are nine times out of ten in an excited state so mm-hmm. actually you're totally right even though it might seem whatever you know have a bath or what have you but it's about de-exciting isn't it it's about mm-hmm. the quickest thing you can do sometimes is is eat something yep and then once you start, it can be, it might be that you find it difficult to stop, but actually sitting, sitting away from once having a bath to stay out of the kitchen, but going for a walk around the block can de-excite you out of that state of thinking you need that fix. Yes. And especially with, you know, binge eating, often it's very, very quick. You know, the person has the feeling or is starving and has the binge and then goes into the zone. And what can be really, really helpful is, as you said, slowing down. So often, you know, I would encourage someone to try postponing a binge. So to say to yourself, look, you can, but why don't you try 10 minutes to do something for 10 minutes and then check in with yourself, do you want to binge? And if the person is like, okay, I'm going to try another 10 minutes. And often after a while, the urge has gone. Mm. Um, you know, not, not always, but about pausing, stopping. Another thing that people can do is, you know, when they have that urge to sit down and say, let's do some pros and cons. What are the pros of binging? What are the cons of binging? And just having that distance between the urge and acting on it. And often people feel with binge eating that they have no control, that once I've got that urge, I just I have to binge. There's nothing that I can do. And actually, when someone has got experience of having the urge and having alternative tools, whether it's the pausing, whether it's going for the walk, having the bath and not binging, then the person has the confidence that actually it's really difficult when I have a binge and I, when I have an urge and I know I want to act on it. But I know that I can have an urge and it can pass and I don't need to deal with it in that moment. And that is so empowering. You're reminding me of the time that I thought, oh, I can feel one coming on. And then I literally was like, screw you, I'm doing yoga. And I felt very powerful. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, it, it is because then <laughs> then you have control over it. It doesn't control you, and mm. that can be a really, really, really important moment. Um, but as I said, I think it's you know with any eating disorder, disordered eating, the most or one of the most important things is to have that self compassion. Mm. You know, to really, really be kind to yourself and acknowledge that if this has been your way of managing life, how brave you are in trying to change it. You're not always going to get it right because we're humans and not to beat yourself up when it goes wrong, because that starts the cycle all again to be kind to yourself. Do you ever have people sit in front of you and say my problems with food and it takes a little while to untangle before they realize it has been a coping mechanism? Because... I would say that even though in your experience, you can say the two are so closely related, we can put, uh, our minds can play tricks on us, can't they? And make us think that the real issue isn't connected to the food issue. Yes. Um, And as you said, often people will think, will come and think it's a relatively new issue. And as they delve that the signs were there a long, long time ago. And sometimes people can manage it for many, many, many years and then something can happen and they are unable to manage it. But it's it's been there for a while. So, yeah, sometimes when you start, people are shocked at what comes out. So I think the main takeaway from this conversation is that actually, if you are in any kind of distress about your relationship with food or about your body image, There is absolutely no shame whatsoever in seeking professional help, even if it doesn't fall into a clear cut category of an eating disorder. Yep, I think that that is a message and to move, we need to move away from looking just at weight. You know, it's Mm. not what the person looks like. People can look really, really well and be really, really unwell. Um, And that, yes, everyone deserves help and everyone matters. And that, you know, all of these things are really, really, really treatable and it's never too early to get help. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that you're bad and wrong if you have this relationship with food that might be causing these issues definitely not bad and wrong human you know and I think to remind yourself that you're doing the best that you can with the tools that you have but you know change can always happen even if you know you've had this relationship with food for many 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 years it doesn't mean that you can't change it you know there is always hope out there that's such a lovely message upon which to end would you uh, mind letting listeners know where they can find you and the useful resources that you would suggest if someone is now motivated to make some inquiries or begin to maybe uh, act on what we've discussed yep I would recommend a really good place to start is beat um, which is a charity for people with eating disorders they've got an absolute wealth of information as well as having support groups and um a website that's got all the local people who can help with eating disorders and disordered eating so that is a really good place to start I've recommended a lot of people go there and I've had lots of messages from people one woman actually in tears saying um who left me a voice message just saying I I think I think I can be fixed I think I can be fixed Yep, it's a great, great, great charity and they do great work, not just with people who are suffering from eating disorders, but also for people who are looking after, you know, carers or parents. So it's a really, really good place to start. Excellent. And obviously I will put the links to you and your fabulous resources in the show notes. Um, 
Is, are there any reading materials? Lots of listeners uh, often ask if there's a book that people can refer to or uh, anything that uh, is a good place for further reading. Do you have any of those sorts of resources that you would recommend? I'd recommend a book called Overcoming Binge Eating Disorder by Christopher Fairburn, which is a really practical book um, about dealing with binge eating disorder and actually it can be helpful for other eating disorders too but it really covers some of the things I was talking about in terms of the psychological binge the physiological binges and some really practical help as well about how to manage it that's so helpful Joanna thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, maybe we'll get you back for a listener Q&A at some point if listeners would like to pick your brains further that sounds great lovely chatting Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode you have to answer a couple of questions but we cannot wait to see you there come over and join the conversation thank you so much for listening i will see you on the next one bye